Hi, everyone. Today's guest on Fashion for All, the Smart Glamour podcast, is Crystal Bugon. Crystal is a hybrid of two of our guest categories, media and maker, as she runs her own business with All Bodies Welcome Hair Removal, but also creates and shares content and resources in various ways throughout social media. I'll let her introduce herself properly. There are a few bits of this episode where my audio um, crackles a bit due to an issue with my headphones. I apologize for that. Um, It's been fixed for future episodes. Enjoy our conversation. Hi, Crystal. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Mallory. My pleasure. Could you please introduce yourself for everyone? Sure, sure. My name is Crystal. My last name is Bugon. Nobody ever gets it right, so don't worry about it. Um, I like to pretend like I'm like, Cher, I only need one name. Um, So uh, hmm. I'm in the Bay Area. And I is what you I am what you might call a fat activist, and I used to own a boutique that um, was focused on lingerie for women of size or people of size, I should say, and we sold a few little romantic toys there as well. And um, now I'm an electrologist, so yeah. Now and I used to work in high tech for like 15 years because I'm here in Silicon Valley, and so I went from high tech to high touch. Oh wow! Okay, I didn't know the the tech part. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So how did you uh, get into slash decide to originally open the lingerie store? Well, I'll try to make a long story a little bit shorter. (laughs) Basically, after I worked in high tech, I got laid off during the dot-com bomb. And um, I went to my book club that night, and then we had a pleasure party there. And I got inspired to start selling sex toys because I can say the words penis and vagina. (laughs) Um, the woman that was doing the pleasure party kept talking about, um, how to use these products as, um, you can know, you can use them, you know, like uh, down there, she would say, and you know, it's a room filled with adult women and she's an adult woman. And I was like, well, you, do you mean the vagina? Do you mean the clitoris? Like, what are you talking about? And she just couldn't say it. So my book club was like, Crystal, that's all you. (laughs) And, uh, I'm that friend, you know, um, Everybody asks me about sex. I don't know why it just happened to me at a really young age. And I, I guess I was raised to believe there's no shame in your body and there's no shame in pleasure and there's no shame in sex. So I have this ability to talk about sex with total strangers, sober. And um, <laughs> so I got inspired that night. And then I, I started my own pleasure party company. And for 10 years, all I did all over the Bay Area is go to people's homes and educate them and entertain them, hopefully about sex toys. Hmm. And I am a fat woman. And um, I think people were a little startled sometimes when I would show up. I'm the person there to talk about sex because, you know, um, sex, fat people don't have sex, Molly. That's the, that's what people think sometimes. Oh, wow. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't have sex and we don't exercise is what they, a lot of people think. It's misconceptions. But anyway, um, they would sort of relate to me, I think, and then talk with me about it. And they would ask me, you know, fat lady that has sex toys, where do you buy lingerie? And I said, well, I would, you know, buy it from hips and curves and sometimes on Amazon, but there just wasn't much. And I was like, you know, I can't be the only person that wants to buy lingerie. I, when I would try to buy lingerie, I would go around the Bay Area and I would go to these different stores and I would like look in the window. And sometimes I'd go inside. And I'm like, oh, there's nothing here for me. So I got inspired and then I opened a, a boutique called Curvy Girl Lingerie and I owned it for five years. Wow. So. During that five years, I mean, obviously, you didn't have fashion industry related experience. 
prior no. to that. But no. so I'm sure you learned a lot as you went. Um, and you were, you know, reselling other people's designs, which is what most boutiques do. Um, so I'm just curious if there's any, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of things, but if there's any standout little bits of information that you learned about the fashion industry, specifically in the lingerie sector, that was surprising to you or maybe like completely not surprising to you? That <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The first, very first thing that surprised me was how long it would take to get lingerie from the designers and the distributors. Mm. And then also what shocked me is that they were still doing business by fax. And so they would want me to place an order by fax. And I was wow. like, what? I know. And coming from tech, so I'm kind of geeky and I like all things technology. And I kept telling these people, can I please order online or can I at least send you an email? Like, don't you have a, a way for me to order these? Like, there's got to be a better way, you know? And sometimes like with the really big distributors, like they wouldn't even know what they had in stock. So I would say, you know, I would call up my person, my rep at this particular distributor and say, you know, I have this client. They really want this particular garter belt. Do you have it? And they go, oh, hang on. Can I call you back in a half an hour? And they would go run around these huge warehouses to see if they had this particular garter belt. And I was like, oh, you guys, they have to be losing so much money, right? Because they have no control over the inventory. Wow. So and what year me. was this then, when that was happening? I mean, so I my boutique closed. I closed it three years ago this month. And I was open for five years. I opened it in 2011. Okay. Not that long ago. I wow. Mean, yeah, truly. 2011, still doing stuff by fax. That blew my mind. And then it took so long to, once you place an order for them to gather it together and package it up and then ship it. And then my, my most of my distributors were in LA and I'm in the Bay Area. So it's like a six hour drive. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'm like, why does it take two weeks? So that kind of stuff surprised me. And then how all the different designers, you know, their size 16 or 18 or 22, they all fit differently. And even sometimes with the same exact designer, all of their size 18s were not the same. Mm. And I was like, what is going on? And were these people that were selling these things, do you know, it, like, I'm sure it probably ran the gamut, but were they producing like like actually manufacturing them and making them in LA or they were they making them overseas and then just just selling them from LA from yeah they're I think most of them um have like business offices in uh, LA and that's where they keep their inventory but from what I could find out because it was not easy to find out mm -hmm. I think they're not trying to let the world know exactly but a lot of the stuff was sewn in Mexico and then one of my favorite des designers for plus size lingerie, though they were um, sewing and creating their inventory, their their designs, and their business office in, in somewhere in Canada. I can't remember now which city, um, but it was a little bit more expensive, but totally worth it. And they also seemed to have fit models that seemed to actually represent what my customers consider to be what. I mean, size is, you know, as you know, it's so all over the place. So people come in and go, oh, I think I'm like a size 24. And I would find this this designer coquette when my customers say they were 24 and I would put a 24 on them from coquette at work. But with the other designers, I'd have to say, okay, now try this one, try that one, try this size. You know, we it would be all over the place. It would be nuts. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm that was a little bit of a leading question because I was <laughs> specifically <laughs> asking um, just, just from my own experience in, in corporate fashion, that it is, 
very, very, very often you see more size inconsistency problems arise when the items are made, you know, the less ethically they're made, the more fit problems are going to happen. And I think that um, that's one of the main things that the average consumer just doesn't, no one doesn't understand anything in general. Uh, the average consumer doesn't even really think about where their clothes are made or how they're made or um, what steps are involved in the entire, you know, design and then sales and then, um, you know, direct to consumer or however you sell it um, process. And the more removed the um, end seller is from the person yeah. who originally made it, the more size inconsistencies they're going to be. And unfortunately, those are the products that are often the cheapest and therefore most affordable for people. Um, right. But they're also going to be, you know, frustratingly inconsistent with their sizing. Completely. And like I said, even with the same designer, you would see something in size 18 and it would even be like a similar style, like a, a chemise. But if it was a different you know, design, the 18s would be different in the same, from the same exact designer. So like I would tell people, like, I know you want me to tell you what size to buy, especially when they buy online. And I, we would just try to tell them when we've seen this on customers, we have seen it fit like this, this, and this on a person who has these kinds of measurements. It was so ridiculous. And, you know, a lot of returns and exchanges and yeah, it was like expensive because yeah, we we could never tell it. This is like a Lane Bryant 24. It just didn't work because every single design came from one designer would be a different kind of 24. And yeah, I'm sure they were, I'm sure there was not anything. They were not concerned about sustainability or anything like that because I mean, they just were, yeah, it was crazy. I learned, I learned so much so fast. It was, it was a big education for sure. And, um, once I found this Canadian designer coquette, I was so thrilled because they actually made better quality lingerie, but which of course means I have to pass the price on to the customer. Right. But then people get used to buying cheap stuff on, you know, whatever those websites are that sell cheap yeah. lingerie for plus size women. And they'd be like, well, usually I could buy this from wherever for $22 and I'd be selling it for 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, also I think folks just don't know, um, why things cost what they do and how and yeah. you know um i think that the majority of mainstream fashion you know they keep it that way on purpose sure. <laughs> because yeah they they want to be able to um trick people through marking up and marking down they want to be able to um increase their profits without increasing the quality you know i mean just mm -hmm. as soon as you get into the territory of um products made unethically or larger businesses and corporations you know it's truly they're they're squeezing pennies out of things so that they yeah, can yeah. um increase their profit on the end so um that's why one of the biggest things that i try to do through um smart glamour is really explain you know this is how long it takes to make something like this this is how much quicker or longer it takes if i add you know one thing to it or you mm -hmm. know this is how much this fabric costs and here is why this product is this end result price like you know because right. i want i want people to be educated not only when they're shopping with me but when they're shopping anywhere i mean that's yep. that's how you end up getting quality items and also knowing 
where you're spending your money and who that money is going to and and mm-hmm. whose lives it's affecting. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think the lingerie industry has quite got there yet as far as being ethically made or sustainable products. I don't think they care yet. I, I could be wrong. I've been out of it for three years, but I doubt it. Um, but I it's like the the conundrum I have when I go to Torrid and the poor people that work at Torrid because I would tell them. First of all, when you're a person of size, there's like two places to shop. And so we're, we're stuck, right? We don't really even have a choice to try to right. find something that's ethically made or, you know, sustainable. But um, I would tell these poor people that worked at Torrid, you know, could you just tell your management, if you if you put $5 more quality into it, I would pay $15 more for it. Because when you, especially when you're a person of size, you know, we're putting a little more stress on our seams and the material. And we have, you know, a little more flesh to deal with and things right up in the back. And I'm like, I just need five, $5 more quality because I just need a little bit more, just like a tiny bit more quality and better made. And I know those people at my store probably don't look forward to when I walk in the door. Not that I have recently, but they're like, Oh no, there's that lady again. Because I'm like, for real, you guys, it could just be, it doesn't have to be changed that much. Just like just a little bit, just to make it a little bit like it might last more than a year. I want my clothes to last years and years, you know, not not just two washes. Right. I mean, unfortunately, when you're talking about a store like, like Torrid or any store that's that big, um, you know, the people that are working in the store, I mean, there's there. I would highly, highly doubt that there's any way for what you say to them to go actually to anyone who makes any kind of design decision like just just from my personal experience of working in corporate fashion who you know i'm the designer that's sitting there approving fabric quality and color matching and the fit of garments etc in production and i could not be farther removed from the salespeople at the jc penny who are then selling the garments that i make like i mean yeah. there's just there's literally zero connection so like what I, I you're saying kind. Hmm? I was always very kind about it. Like, I know you probably don't yeah. have any way to get this information back, but yeah. like, they're like, yeah, we know, we understand, you know, I'm like, oh, it's just too much. I mean, I understand a hundred percent why you're saying that to them. And I, and I would suggest to do the same. Um, but I am more speaking to like, just people who are listening just so they know that like, you know, you can absolutely say what you would like to say to the folks in the store and they can pass it to management and maybe the manager can pass it to like regional directors and maybe (laughs) it can get up the chain. But I think, you know, I think folks in general have an idea that stores like that have a direct connection to the actual design process and they truly, truly don't like it. The design process is usually being held at a random corporate office where designers I mean, are barely designing, to be honest, and are just dealing directly with factories and go-betweens. And it is, it's truly just a complete and utter total different wing of the company from the actual like brick and mortar sales sector of the company. Um, And so I think that's where a lot of confusion happens when it comes to things that are mass produced, because folks think clothes and go to the designer stage and think that designers are much more involved in than the end result of the of the shipping of the products and the selling of the products. But yeah. I mean so like so in general just, you know, 
I encourage people to shop as small as possible. Um, meaning like small businesses, because then you are way closer to the, to the design people, to the people that can make those decisions. Now, that being said, that does completely then <laughs> negate, you know, the majority of people's ability to just walk into a store and shop because most small yeah. businesses don't have the money to have storefronts, which I'm sure you know, because you had a storefront for Curvy Girl. <laughs> five years. It was a long five years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it gave me a pinch nerve in my brain. That's how long it was. But, you know, uh, I was going to say, um, Mallory, the one of the reasons I adore your brand is because what I noticed in my lingerie industry is that the designers basically erased anybody over a size 26. So, um, <sighs> and people would get mad at me. Why don't you carry more laundry for larger bodies? Said, well, they, because n- n- nobody makes it and um, it's getting a little bit better. And it was starting to get a little bit better when I was there, when I still had the store, but it, it was be like, basically we don't exist. And if we did exist, we like, well, hell no, we would never put on laundry. And, and I would tell people, you know, like, don't get mad at me. Like I'm a size 28. So I would like more laundry as well, but, you know, I can't even get stuff for myself. So it's not like I'm not trying to um, have something for you. It's just that it doesn't exist yet. And, but, you know, we started to make a little bit of change in the industry and let them know that we, we when they would make one, we would buy it all up because we want it. Everybody wants it. Mm-hmm. You're like yeah, one of the only ones that can go. You're, you're one of the rare ones that can go even higher than a 28. Yeah, I mean, I'll make clothes for anyone who has any body. I don't, I don't care what right. what size you are. Um, but yeah. but also, you know, that's because I'm one individual person hand making everything, so I can do that. Like there are businesses who that is nowhere near their process, and so I understand, you know, why they choose. I will say choose not to. Not that they can't, but they are choosing yeah. not to. Um, and that's unfortunate. And I also, you know. And really take my anger up with the with the powers that be of the world who don't see value in small businesses who are reaching these customers. Because, you know, I tried to get Smart Glamour some funding for a good two years and yeah. it was it was just brick wall after brick wall. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's so, 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 so hard. But anyway, that's enough of talking about me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. How did you jump from Curvy Girl to now doing the work that you do now with paralysis? So after I closed my store because of the, I have, it's called trigeminal neuralgia. It's basically a pinched nerve in your brain, Hmm. which happens mostly to women. And they think it mostly has to do with stress, but they don't know a lot about it. So I decided to make a decision and that, you know, the store wasn't, it was profitable for the first two and a half years. And then, when Facebook changed everything, it, my business really took a big hit. And oh. then, um, yeah, <laughs> and all those algorithms changed and they started, you know, suppressing my content. So after five years, I decided I need to put my, my health first. And my friend Tigress, you might know, not, might know Tigress, but she said something that was so nice to me because uh, I was really sad because I had such a great community and we had all these great events and a safe place for five people to come and talk about sex. And mm-hmm. it was really hard to close, but she told me um, stores come and go, but communities are forever. And uh, so generous, such a generous thing to say to me. And it, it's so true, right? I didn't really think of it that way. So I still have my community. I still don't have the store anymore. And then um, basically right after I closed my store, my friend got really sick with cancer. 
Mm. And then I moved her in and we took help take care of her. And it was just a long process. But one of my friends that helped me take care of her is an electrologist. And she said, you should come do this with me. Oh. But I really didn't know what I was going to do. I was, I thought I was going to be able to just run the online store and it was just, wasn't, was not good. And then anyway, she's been, my friend has been an electrologist for 28 years and she remembers hearing me say that when I had my store, we should open up one of these rooms and, and hire a waxer and have someone come in to do curvy girl waxing. Because yeah. a lot of times people of size won't go get a wax or go do those kinds of personal services. They won't even go get a massage sometimes because they're too embarrassed that they're going to be shamed about their bodies. And so right. I kept saying, I don't wax people. I need to learn how to wax people. I'll open up a waxing for curvy girls. So she's like, come do what I do, but it's permanent hair removal. And so I would decided, you know what, I'm going to bite the bullet and I paid to go to trade school and I decided that again, I wanted to make it inclusive and I call it all bodies welcome. Mm -hmm. And um, you might know this as well, but besides people of size, sometimes people of color, queer people, trans people feel um, intimidated by going to get beauty services, especially ones that are so personal, like mm -hmm. having facial hair removed or having, you know, pubic hair removed. And so I decided I'm going to create a safe place for all bodies to come and, I'm going to work on them. If they want some of their extra hair removed, I will remove it for them. And, you know, um, hopefully they won't feel ashamed or they won't, they won't deny themselves that service because I'll make it in such a way that they feel welcome. No matter everybody, all of humanity is welcome in my office and I'll treat anybody and everybody. I have trans clients. I have queer clients, I have clients of color. I just, I want to make it a safe place for people to have their hair removed. And I hoped I never would have thought I love it so much, Mallory. It's so fun. <laughs> it's so it's so satisfying too, like getting that hair out. And I'm like, yeah. This one client asked me, Are you having a climax? I'm like, kind of. Because <laughs> it's so satisfying. I'm sure you have, you know, when you pluck that hair out of your eyebrows and you get the bulb and the sheath and yeah. it comes out so nicely. Like imagine doing that all day long. <laughs> so fun. Especially when I know. Like if I'm helping them remove their their hair for their their surgeries for their genital surgeries, then you know I, I know this like it just I just want to hug them. I just want to you know I'm like I get to be a part of this process, which is such a privilege to help them with something they've been hoping to do their whole life sometimes, and so that's yeah. kind of it's very it's very um, I get kind of choked up even talking about it because it's I feel very privileged to be a part of that process. Yeah, I know hair uh, hair removal specifically for the trans community is such a um important um procedure to have access to and to feel safe uh going to do yeah. so that's such a wonderful thing um i'm not i don't know too much about um any kind of beauty related <laughs> industry process at all so i'm just curious um when you go to trade school for that is it specifically only for hair removal or does it does it cross over into any other no Usually, so like when people usually go to like beauty school, it's like 1600 hours and they learn everything, right? They learn waxing, they learn nails, they learn eyebrows. But with my school, it was specifically just about electrolysis. So 600 mm. hours, just about hair removal, which is permanent hair removal. So very focused, very interesting. A lot of time spent on sanitation and sterilization. And then um, it's really cute because my teachers... Um, well, let's just say that they used to be evangelicals, and um, I'm not. <laughs> and <laughs> so we had a few heated discussions here and there about things, you know, and uh, they just didn't understand how, you know, I could work under uh, below the belt on anybody. And I'm like, okay, 
Yeah, wow. working, working below the belt. <laughs> that was their words. I'm like, yeah, I, I will be. I don't, I don't, doesn't even phase me. It's like, whatever, it's another body part, you know? And yeah. they just, I was crazy, you know? Like, yeah. We had, we had a few discussions about other things too, like abortion and politics, and it was just, that didn't go well. So finally I told them, you know, how about we just focus on electrolysis? I don't think we need to get into these political discussions because we clearly are miles apart planets. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just, let's just learn what we're here to learn. <laughs> Thank you. And they were great teachers and I'm so grateful because they're probably some of the best electrologists in the country and they've been doing it for like 30 years. And anyway, I learned some good stuff, but yeah, we, I never learned how to do like how to work on a bikini line at all. Cause they won't even at the school, they won't allow us to work below the belt. So I had to kind of get some mentor, my mentor and help me learn how to do those kind of uh, removal, hair removals for bikini line or it's so cute, Mallory. I had this one lady come in and she's like, I have a really hot date tomorrow night. It's my first date in 10 years. Can you help me remove all my gray pubic hair today? I'm like, oh, no, it doesn't work that fast. Yeah. You? How funny. Turns out the person did not care about their gray pubes at all. Shocking. <laughs> you mean you mean the person didn't, didn't uh, go to do, uh, you know, sexy things with them and then counting their gray hairs instead? <laughs> yeah. She's like, you're right. They didn't care at all. I go, yeah, I had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, like you were right I'm like yeah she's like but I still want to keep removing them I go that's fine but yeah you can't do it in a day sorry yeah that's not how electrolysis works <laughs> yeah, but she was cute she was so excited because she hadn't been on date in so long and she was so nervous I'm like how old is this person 65 I go okay sister he's not gonna oh, care oh boy <laughs> <laughs> oh my um, so I do want to quickly circle back to uh, something that you brought up before, which sure. which ended up tying into something that I wanted to ask you about you uh, anyway. Uh, so you mentioned, you know, content and the algorithm and social media and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I know that, um, you know, you've kept up a few of your pages and that you now kind of seem to, at least in my opinion, be using them more just for general activism. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, keeping that community alive online while also um, spreading education and um, making people feel, hopefully feel better about themselves and, and just why you've decided to continue to do that as well. Yeah. You know, I, we have so few places to be, to feel safe when you're a person of size, especially if you're like out and um, you're out as a fat, <laughs> you know, you, you, <laughs> right. <laughs> you you claimed the word you've taken the word back and you need you know sometimes we need to be reminded you know that we are we are worthy of dignity and respect and we don't need your concern trolling to you know comment on our what you think is our health or not health um what you think is unhealthy or not healthy like i just feel like it's so so strongly about that and then um I feel like, you know, fat rights are human rights. And it's important to me that, you know, um, I, I feel like since I can speak up for people, I should. Mm -hmm. And it's like kind of like I, I can work on genitals, so I should. I, I feel like a little bit like it's part, part of my, it's just a gift that I, I am lucky that I, I don't mind being trolled. I don't mind being criticized. It just rolls off my back. I don't give a crap what some stranger on Facebook or Instagram has to say about my body. So it's almost like sometimes I feel like maybe I'll take one for the team. And mm -hmm. um, 
I've learned from so many amazing people, you know, like Tigers, like I mentioned, and Reagan Chastain and um, so, uh, Sonia Renee Taylor. Mm-hmm. And I just want to keep their message going. And I'm so inspired by that, their message. I hope that when I share stuff, it can be inspiring to other people that maybe maybe aren't connected with those particular um, people or pages. And um, just want to spread the word signal boost, other activists, also resources. It's, you know, when you are in a oppressed group, you it's hard to find things. Like today I did an interview with this friend of mine who he's a fat skateboarder. And it was like a half an hour we talked about him being a fat skateboarder. And I said, you know, this is so exciting because I bet other people out there going, man, I always wanted to skateboard. I didn't know I could be 350 pounds and skateboard. And so like to me, I want to boost that kind of signal. So that just, I don't know. I just want to keep it, keep them going and yeah, try to try to spread the good word because it's, it's not easy out there when you live in a fat body, you know, there's not a lot of spaces that fit us. We don't fit well in restaurants and airplanes. And I just think, like I said, because I have a loud mouth, (laughs) (laughs) I need to put it to good use, I guess, if I can. (laughs) Yes. I I feel similarly about the, about the loud mouth part. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, whatever, you know, I've been told I've been a busy body and a loud mouth my whole life. So I might as well put it to good use. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's uh that's so awesome that you mentioned um the fat skateboarder because I, I mean the second you said that I'm like you know I don't think I've ever really seen any kind of imagery videos of um of fat people skateboarding nope. like specifically yeah. skateboarding um so you also recently started the the fat product reviews yeah um how did that idea come to you and how did you decide to start doing those like I want to stay involved in this world, you know, and I get so involved with the electrology sometimes it's hard for me to to focus on it. But I've had all this time because of the pandemic. So I'm only just now allowed to go back to work after being off work for six months. Mm-hmm. And um, the state finally is allowing us to go back. And so I've had a lot of free time, you know, and I know so many people in the fat world. So I just started calling on favors of people to say, hey, including you. And so I could interview them. And I want to just create a repository where we can find all things fat and fabulous and, you know, just, it's so easy. You just talk. I talk to somebody, I, I tape it, and then I put it on my YouTube channel. It's like, I may, used to make, I wanted to do this forever, but I didn't know how to do it easily. But then I learned about that tool, mm-hmm. StreamYard. That's what I use. And I was like, this is it. Okay, well, I have like my own little talk show about fat stuff, fat services, fat products. And um, like our next, like one of the next things, products that we're going to review are uh, menstrual cups and how how do they work for um, fat bodies? Because you mm. know that that's a whole other world that c- contributes largely to the landfills and using you know cotton. And so just mm-hmm. it's not easy though for people of size. So this I have mm-hmm. a friend who's like, oh, I want to talk all about it. So I'm like, all right, let's do this. Oh, great! She yeah, did one I am um... about. Um, anti-chafing shorts she did a review for those for me too like which ones she mm. loves and which ones she didn't like at all mm. yeah that's great i mean there's man there's just so many different products out there that people use use either way you know depending on your body size or whatnot but like man i just feel like there's so many variations of products that are not just fashion related products that should be not just including but like highlighting and specifically focusing on plus size folks as a consumer and they just yeah. refuse to do it yeah i can't yep, understand I how much it is frustrating <laughs> to, to 
say something I, with that. I always because. appreciate your um your allyship, uh, Melody. It's so important. I really appreciate it because we don't have a lot of thin allies, and there's getting to be more and more. But it, it, unfortunately, sometimes people who are thin, you have a little more cachet, privilege, whatever you want to call it. People listen to you maybe more than they might listen to us. So mm-hmm. it's so nice and refreshing to have an ally like you on our side. Yeah. I mean, you know, even just with Smart Glamour by creating the spaces that I create, I mean, multiple straight size models of mine have been like, I literally did not realize that this was ever a problem. Like they just, because you can just live, it's, you know, it's like when white people can just live and ignore racism. I'm not saying it's a similar um, problem at all. No, 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 no. But just, I mean, just privilege in general of just Mm -hmm. how easy it is to not see something that is not affecting you. Just decide not to pay attention to it, you know? Um, You know, I've been talking about the issues of, like, uh, um, pricing discrimination forever. Mm -hmm. And then just the other day, one of my sisters was like, oh, you know, I went to buy some tank tops. She's a volleyball coach. I went to buy some Mm -hmm. tank tops for my volleyball players, and I needed to get an extra large and a 1X, and and they cost more. I the never, and I know you, and she was like, I know you talk about that, but I've never seen it in person. I was like, right, because you never shot for plus clothes before. Right. <laughs> Did you think I was there just is, like, oh, out of the air? <laughs> there truly is a fat tax. And, you know, one thing that I learned about, gosh, I'm going to say about 15 or 20 years ago, is that petite people have as much difficulty shopping and finding clothes as, as people of size. Mm. I guess it's apparently difficult to find shoes if you're like a size four well, you, mm-hmm. you can only find kids' shoes, so you have to buy little mm-hmm. kids. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's like the different sides of the spectrum have the difficulty, and then all the stuff in the middle is where the, it's, that's where it comes mass-produced, right? Right. Yeah, my mother-in-law is um, very tiny. She, I mean, both her and my mom, I like to call them pocket moms, as they're very small, um, <laughs> especially <laughs> compared to me, because I'm you know, just at 5'9", mm-hmm. so... Uh, they really do seem like I could put them in my pocket, but specifically, my mother-in-law <laughs> is also very petite, and she wears a size five shoe. And I think she's got like two places where she can buy shoes. Yeah, um, she yeah, lives yeah. in Tennessee. You know, she doesn't. She just she doesn't have a lot of options. Yeah, yep. It happens to for to yeah, not just plus size people, but because we don't ever shop for petite clothes, why would we know that? I only know that because right. I used to work with somebody who would tell me all the time. Um, you know, I can't ever find shoes. I can never have to shop in the kids department. I was like, what? Wow. Blew my mind. Yeah. When I, um, had my, I had a three month pop-up shop in 2015. And at that time, um, I stocked extra, extra small through six X in that specific store that was in yeah 2015. Mm-hmm. And, um, at the end of the day, when you pop up now i actually stopped carrying extra small and extra small because they weren't selling um i was much 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 more often selling four or five six x's than I was the extra smalls and the extra smalls right. and even when i had them like in my sample sale they were really hard to um get rid of and so i stopped carrying them but being said when i did have that three month long store there was a man who saw my sign and came in and was like oh my god i'm bringing my wife in here tomorrow She's an extra mm-hmm. small. She cannot find clothes anywhere. So yeah, um, I, I, it was a good thing for me to have for that particular woman, <laughs> and yeah. good thing that you know signed and gave it and then brought her back. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is, 
you know, human beings exist in varieties <laughs> of yep. of everything, um, including size, and they should have access to the same clothes. <laughs> what is what do they say now is the average size of an American woman? So the last uh, very intense uh, thorough study that was done on that mm-hmm. was done by RACT before they um, ceased to be. And, right. you know, they say, they say it's 1618 and there's that variation because, as we mentioned before, size and consistencies exist. So, you know, what is a 16 to one company might be 19 yeah. to another company, et cetera. But sure. the specific is that uh, the waistline is 38 inches. And then as far as just who wears plus sizes, I've seen reports between 67 to 72 percent. I know Refinery29 did their whole um, big push campaign on, and then they were called it, you know, the 67% um, project, but I've also seen uppers into the low seventies. And mm-hmm. even when I, you know, go through and look at my um, stats and my data of folk sizes that I've collected over the past six years, it ends up being the same, you know, about yeah. 70 to 72% of people were at uh, yeah. plus sizes, which is just, I mean, just makes it even more bonkers that <laughs> people don't take advantage of that market. Uh, it's the majority yeah. of people <laughs> yeah right it's just so crazy to me too but uh, i don't understand their process but it's yeah I, and i know you make some lingerie too right i do yeah i wouldn't say that i you know i'm a lingerie designer i don't make anything that has um underwire in it you know i didn't mm-hmm. study um in apparel is like a whole specialization yeah. you know like yeah. i went to fit and my specialization was called current scene which is basically ready to wear mm-hmm. um you know everyday everyday clothes but like you know eating yeah. wear was a specialization men's wear is a specialization children's wear is a specialization etc so it's like yes you know can i make things and sew things yes but there's lots of specific techniques that i use in lingerie design that are not my specialty so um i do the lingerie that i do create is a lot more um on the planar more basic end you know i make lots of bralettes and i make them in jerseys and meshes and lace um i make you know basically a lot of the pieces that i i make in like jerseys for like regular pajamas i'll make them in like lace or mesh for like more of a lingerie feel but um Yeah, I'm definitely not fully like a lingerie designer, similar to you know the act that I carry. Yeah, very cool. So maybe to close out, um, do you have any? I don't want to say like advice, but like you know, a little gem of positivity or motivation for somebody who, um you know, exists in a fat body and is maybe just trying to find their community and or trying to find specifically, um, you know, hair removal or beauty, uh, any kind of beauty procedure and just wants to know how to empower themselves and find a, a space that they'll be safe in? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, this kind of goes for anybody of any size, and I'm sure you can relate to this, but when you stop worrying about or stop caring what other people think, that's when you find all of your power. That's been my experience. It's like, if if I don't love you, I really don't care about your opinion of me. 
And um, that's when everything kind of became more clear for me and that I had, I could stop worrying about what people thought about what I was wearing or how it looked on me. You know, I just don't care. Are you, are you going to mm-hmm. gift me clothes? Then maybe I'll consider your opinion. So I just stopped worrying about what other people think of me. I'm not everybody's flavor and that's okay because everybody's also not my flavor. So I don't mind that I'm really, some people I'm really not their flavor and that's okay. And if I'm your flavor, I'm really your flavor usually, you know? So it's like, <laughs> stop, if we can, stop, I'll stop worrying about what other people think. It, I know it sounds trite and it's not, I know it's not easy to do, but it gives you so much power. If you can step into that, it's very powerful and you just do whatever makes you feel good and wear whatever makes you feel good. And as far as the beauty stuff, um, I don't know if you noticed, but when I talk about hair removal, I say it, people, if you want your extra hair removed, mm. because we have to remember there's no like wrong hair. It, it's just mm-hmm. how we feel about our own hair. And lots of women can rock a beard and look beautiful doing it. And other people don't want it. And both are okay. And both are beautiful. And, you know, it's for me, what I try to tell people is try to expand your idea of what beautiful is because I mean, like the desert in Nevada to me is not super beautiful, but I'd rather look at green, luscious landscapes, but there is beauty in the desert. There's beauty in everything, right? And there's beauty in all humans. So if you can sort of expand what you think of and get out of what the media is trying to tell you is beautiful, we don't all have to look like a Barbie, you know, that would be a very boring life if we all did. And um, we don't, you know, white skin, blue eyes, blonde hair, tiny waist, and teeny, 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 tiny feet, but humongous <laughs> boobs. Not very many people, not very many humans look like that. And I'd rather us all just, yeah, just stop, try it if you can, find a way to stop caring what other people think and value your opinion of yourself more than what other people have to think. And that's really where the, the good stuff happens. And yeah, if you have extra hair, you want it removed. When you go to a salon, they work for you. Like you're hiring them. You're paying them to do their service. So, you know, it's, I do what I do. Like if I want to get a massage or whatever, I do some research, I'll call ahead. How, how much weight does your table hold? Because some I've gone to before where I went to go get a wax and I, I got on their table. I was like, what is this table rated for? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Probably like 200 pounds. I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to work for very long for me. Um, so I just call ahead and try to find mm-hmm. out, you know, are they going to be um, able to accommodate my body and my weight? And this helps helps me to sell, settle down some of my anxiety. So mm-hmm. that's, and I know a lot, of, a lot of fatties do that. We call ahead of restaurants or we look on Yelp to see if they have chairs that will fit us. We have to do a lot of like pre-planning before we do anything. But when you go to get a wax, those people, who do you think they wax all day long? Regular people. It's okay to let them see your fat while they're waxing you. It, they've they've seen it all. I promise you. You don't have anything they haven't seen before because again, back to seventy percent of the population is going to have some fat on their body. They're going to have right. a few rolls or stretch marks or whatever. So it's we're the majority, and um, they've seen it. They've seen everything you could possibly imagine. So don't don't let that scare you. It just they want to help you too. Usually, I, usually people in the beauty industry like me like we want to help other people. So try to keep that in mind that they, they're there because they want to help you mm-hmm. and they want to do something that's going to make you feel good. So that's usually what's in their heart. And I think that's, that's really good advice to empower yourself to, um, you know, call ahead and ask questions and, and be educated. 
Um, so where can folks find you and follow you on the internet? Mostly, I guess I my my face my curvy girl Facebook page is still is a great community. So facebook.com slash curvy girl inc curvy girl inc. That's the best place. And then um, you know, if there's anybody out there that's a person of size that hears this and they feel like they need a little extra help or they need a little confidence or just to know that they're okay. They're always welcome to reach out to me via email as well. And um, yeah, so just bliss, bliss connection at gmail.com. I'm always happy to help another fatty that needs a little handholding or has some suggestion or, you know, whatever I can do. If I can help somebody, I'm happy to help any, any way I can. Yeah. Fat product review on YouTube. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I will link all of that in, in the show notes and tag you in all the places. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Fashion for All. Please be sure to check our show notes for information and links to our guests and their work. Be sure to subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform of choice and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. For more Smart Glamour goodness, you can head to smartglamour.com and follow us on Facebook at backslash smartglamour and Instagram at smart underscore glamour. Thanks.